Today is a super special Sunday, and that's because it is REACH Sunday. So what is REACH? REACH is a campaign that Cannon Creek Church has been a part of for many, many years. And it enables our ministry to support outreach on local, regional, and even a global scale. Pledges towards REACH fund church planning, missions trips, as well as local outreach opportunities. So where you're sitting right now is here because of REACH. We are a church plant, and REACH funded us. So your normal tithes and offerings go towards things like keeping the lights on here. But when you support REACH, you have an impact beyond these walls and beyond Idaho. So that brings me to our speaker today. When we give to REACH, we are supporting missionaries just like the one we're going to hear from. She, her husband, and their awesome staff serve as campus missionaries with Chi Alpha at the University of Idaho. Uh, we are so blessed as a church to partner with them as they reach students at U of I. So I want to welcome up an awesome friend of mine, amazing wife and mother, and an even more amazing follower of Christ, Jessica Seberg. Thank you, Nicole. I am super blessed to have Nicole as a friend of my life, too. Um, we actually, a uh, year ago, two years ago, we swapped kids um, every week so that we could um, help propel each other into um, ministry hours. So that was really cool. I got to know Nicole well through that. So um, it's Labor Day weekend. You guys decided not to go camping or fishing or something. I'm glad you're here. Um, I'll be speaking today instead of um, Scott. If you haven't met him, he's our um, location pastor here, um, and he's doing a wedding this weekend. So he'll be back next week. But um, I am so um, blessed. I feel so grateful to live in Moscow. Um, this is my family. They were um, in the first nine o'clock service, so they're not here now. But Derek's my husband. Um, he's the director of um, University of Idaho Chi Alpha. And then I have three kids. Ravel is our oldest. She's five. I became a kindergarten mom this week. It was really exciting. You know, there's a lot of moms who are like, oh, I'm so sad. My baby's going to kindergarten. I was like, She's going to kindergarten. It was really cool because she loved it, and she's so smart and um, creative and needs that outlet. Um, Clayton's two, and uh, Miriam is seven months. I love my family so much. Um, Derek and I moved to Moscow in 2009, so this is the 11th school year here um, at U of I, and we moved here to replant um, the Chi Alpha campus ministry here. Um, and if you're not familiar with Chi Alpha yet, you will be because, as Nicole said, this church has always partnered with us um, since the beginning of Chi Alpha here. So the most important thing to know is, despite our name, we are not a fraternity or sorority. <laughs> I know this is a little uh, confusing, but we are a national movement of campus ministries. Um, there's like 320 around the U.S. and um, actually more across the globe. Um, and he, the basic thing you need to know is, we want to reach students for Jesus and train disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. Um, so students, if you're here, I want to invite you guys to our large group gathering, um, which is like church for college students on campus, Bora Theater, Wednesdays at 7. Um, and then um, if you are a life group leader and you are here today, can you just raise your hand? So if you find somebody that's raising their hand, they lead life groups in our residence halls around campus. Um, on Mondays and Tuesdays, we might have a Thursday group, not sure, but find one of them. Um, 
also, and life groups are the best because you really, that's where you can form some deep friendships with other people and figure out what does it look like to follow Jesus as a college student um, and wrestle together. Um, also, if you are in staff with Chi Alpha, can you just stand up for a second? I want to introduce you. Some of them were in first service. This is um, Isaac Young. Um, he's, this is his second here with us. This is Sarah Middle. Oh gosh, I, Middlestead, I know. And I used to always say it that way and then I freaked myself out. Yes, okay. <laughs> we love them. Um, and then Corinne Reed um, is also on staff with us um, if you have met her. So is there any WSU Kyle staff here today? No, they must have gone somewhere for the weekend. But um, as Nicole said, so we are considered missionaries, which means that we actually raise all of um, the funds for um, our personal salaries as well as the ministry budget um, comes from the generous um, monthly giving of families and friends and churches just like Canyon Creek. So we are blessed and are empowered to be on campus because of REACH. So I just want to say thank you so much if you're um, somebody that gives to REACH. Um, you are helping propel the mission on campus. Well, let's pray and then jump into the Bible. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for giving us the gift of your word and of scripture. I pray that today you would just open it up to us. You would reveal your heart for people, your heart for us through it. Um, Speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you were here last week, Scott introduced us to this character, Paul the Apostle. And we meditated on his radical transformation that he had from being a religious zealot who was persecuting the Christian church, who was complicit to murder, who had this radical transformation moment. Um, In Acts 9, you can read about it, where on the road to Damascus, Jesus appears to him and everything changes. So today we're going to be reading a passage and talking about a passage that the same guy, Paul, wrote later um, in a letter to a church in the city of Corinth, and he's encouraging them. So um, right now, um, if if you have a phone with your Bible or an actual Bible, pull it out, um, because I want you to be able to follow along. I'm going to jump around a little bit. So 2 Corinthians is where you're headed, chapter 5, and we'll read it together here. I'll give you a second to get there if you need to. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 20 says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation Excuse me. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this passage 
is actually the passage that Chi Alpha is based around. Um, it's where we get our name and it's where we really get our identity because it is the gospel in a nutshell and talks about our responsibility and our identity as Christians. It says we are therefore Christ's ambassador. Um, we believe that God longs to have each and every person um, be reconciled to himself, to be reconnected from our broken relationship with God. And the way that that reconnection happens is through the representation of his people, of you and I. So everyone who takes on the identity as Christian also, whether you like it or not, takes on the identity Christ's ambassadors. So in Greek, if you were to take Christ's ambassadors and break it down, you've got it in Greek, so Christo Apostoli, and then Chi is the first letter of that in Greek, Alpha for Apostoli, and then you get X in the Greek alphabet and A in the Greek alphabet. So that's where Chi Alpha gets its name. It's kind of like a little tricky. Not a fraternity house, Christ ambassadors. <laughs> so, but it's a reminder that each of us have this responsibility um, and a real part to play in God's purpose. Have you guys ever thought about being an ambassador to Burkina Faso or Micronesia or Transnistria? Probably not. Maybe you didn't even know those were countries. You probably did because a lot of you are university students, but ambassadorship works best when somebody has a personal or a vested interest in the person or the thing that, or country they're representing. So usually they speak the language of the country or they've got like an advanced degree um, in that country, the culture. So we are called Christ ambassadors because Christ is supposed to be the one that we have a personal investment in. He's our obsession, our passion, our interest, our specialization. So being a Christ ambassador is possible, Paul says, because we are compelled if you have had an authentic encounter with Jesus. And we know that Paul is for sure thinking about his own conversion experience here, right? He had this dramatic moment where everything changed for him and his life was turned upside down and that compelled him forward. Can you guys think of a time where you were compelled to do or say something? So maybe there was a time where you saw someone do something kind of sketchy, like maybe you were not even sure if it was like there as a crime was about to be committed. Um, the whole, if you see something, say something, you would be compelled to let somebody know. Um, this is kind of a weird one, but anyone who's had a child can probably relate. When you are pregnant and you have a watermelon in your belly, there is this weird compulsion for people to touch your stomach. Like, hi there, baby. Okay, that would be just like totally weird if I walked up to Isaac and was like, here, let me rub your tummy. Like, <laughs> it feels awkward even saying that out loud, right? <laughs> so yes, people are compelled in strange ways. Um, but I think the best example of people being compelled actually is toddlers. Toddlers have no logical sense to some of the things they do. And if you ask them, what were you thinking, sweetie? They'd be like, mom, I had to. I had to. And they get this like intense, my kids get this intense thing in their eyes. They had to. So these are all things that have happened that my kids have been compelled to do. Um, this is called a roadie horse. It's like a bouncy horse. And I found them climbing like the coffee table, the roadie horse, and then they were climbing on top of that and just launching themselves. I mean, the TV is like five inches from that. Um, dipping flossers in the toilet before use. 
And then I don't know if you can tell, but I was sitting on the toilet and I was looking straight at the, um, the sink and there was like probably 15 of those little flossers are shoved in those crevices. I don't think I'll ever get them out. Um, eating a stick of butter off of an ice poker in a pile of knives. That was Clayton. Yep, scared me half to death. Um, he had to. Um, emptying a Kirkland size jug of detergent into my washer at one time. <laughs> um, or sell iced coffee and carrots to the neighbors and the garbage men because I had put a cap on the lemonade stands this summer because I was like, my neighbors are probably just so sick of buying lemonades. Like, it's like, mom, I have to sell something. I have to make money. So this was her thing. So literally to be compelled is to have this irresistible urge or this force that says, you must do this. You have to do this. So Paul, former persecutor of the church, is saying, I am compelled by Christ's love to talk about Jesus with others. So we're going to talk a little bit today about witnessing or evangelism or sharing your faith. And, you know, oftentimes when we talk about this, we instantly get a little bit of anxiety in us because sometimes um, it's a little uncomfortable. Um, but let's talk about that. So actually, every spring in Chi Alpha, um, I teach a class called the Discipleship Evangelism class, um, or DE class for short. And um, every year, all these students come to my house on Fridays um, to learn how to, to be equipped to share their faith better. And then this happens every single year. Um, in week one, um, they have their first homework assignment, where they actually have to go out on campus and talk to people. Um, and usually when I tell them this, the class goes dead silent. And all I see are the whites of their eyes, about the size of a saucer, looking at me like, wait, what? We have to talk to people. And then I'm like, well, you know, the class is called the Discipleship Evangelism class. You didn't just think we were going to talk about talking to people, right? And then I usually tell them that I'm going to kick their butt and make them do that um, or get over it. Um, <laughs> but we always have a good relationship at the end. Um, but actually, the thing is, I usually lose about 10% every year after the first couple weeks. Um, and then the 90% that are left, they really have to rest through, wrestle through being a little uncomfortable. Because talking about Jesus sounds super spiritual, but when it comes to actually doing it, we're confronted with some anxiety, maybe dread. Um, when Paul says Christ's love compels us, it sounds like he wants to talk about Jesus, right? It sounds like he's passionate. He's excited to talk about Jesus. But what I've discovered for myself is that I'm often actually compelled by other things. So I want to take a second to talk about some of those things. As Christ's ambassadors, we're often compelled by duty. I share my faith because I should. I share my faith because I'm supposed to. I ought to. Now, there's some virtue, of course, in building disciplines in our life um, that we do because they're healthy for us, not because um, we like them. So I change dirty diapers all day long as part of my role as caregiver to my kids, not because I like seeing last night's dinner in my son's diaper, but because that's what my job is, right? Um, I clean up my house and do laundry um, because it's important to live in a sanitary environment. Um, it's not because I like it. But what happens if we share our faith solely out of a sense of duty? I think we're probably going to start to resent our identity and resent, resent the people in our lives. This is a challenge for me in motherhood. Um, 
if I start doing mother life with just a sense of duty, then I start seeing my children as objects in my way of doing the things I want to do. I start seeing my children as burdens to me or annoying instead of the dearly loved children that they are. I resent them. That's really icky, right? But I think if we're honest, a lot of us have been there, whether it's your job or your studies or your spouse. Um, maybe if you're an athlete, it's doing your, um, your sport. Duty might propel discipline in your life for a little bit, and there's a place for that, but it should be a starting point because the result of evangelism compelled by duty is resentment. Actually, any ministry-related activity, I think. Not to mention, I think you're going to sound probably inauthentic when you do talk about Jesus. You, you can tell when someone's giving an obligatory compliment, right? It just kind of falls flat, like, uh, you're, you look nice today, you know? Um, or maybe it's just lacking in warmth or genuineness. So what I want to know is, how does the gospel free me from this motive? Because how unhelpful would that be if I just reveal all of your negative heart attitudes and then just leave you with that? right? <laughs> Yuck. The, the gospel is amazing because it actually frees us. So the gospel's hope is this. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. When I start to see motherhood or sharing my faith um, through the eyes of duty, the answer is to ask Jesus for a change of perspective. Paul says we regard no one from a worldly point of view. I need to see people the way God sees them. If you saw your non-Christian friends or your family the way that God sees them, how would that change your motivations? I love my children. I want my daughter to know f- the freedom that comes from giving your anxieties and worries to Jesus. Um, I want my, my friends to know that Jesus can help them with the, the wounds that they have in their past um, or their families. I want students to know that Jesus makes a difference because You guys need to know, students here, that you are dearly loved apart from your grades, apart from your performance or your future career. What would a relationship with Jesus do for the people that you've been sent to in your workplace, your dorm? Have you meditated on how much Jesus loves them? Let's have a perspective shift. So number two, as Christ's ambassadors, we are also sometimes compelled by idolatry. Excuse me. Now, this is kind of a weird one, right? Um, Idolatry is not a word we might usually put here. Um, But what is idolatry? Idolatry is just worshiping and trusting something other than God. And sometimes I share my faith because I wrongly believe that people's salvation is all up to me. Jesus told us, you know, go make disciples um, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and This is the part I forget. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says I'm with you. But sometimes I'm compelled to make something happen when I don't see anything happening in the lives of my kids or of my friends or of my family. And it's sometimes not because God's actually led me to do something, but it's because I don't always trust God's timing. Throughout the scripture, especially in the Old Testament, Most of the time the Israelites turned away from God to worship idols was when they stopped believing that God was in control and stopped trusting God that he was working behind the scenes when they couldn't see it. So they take matters into their own hands and then they make a mess. This is a picture of Derek and I on our very first day 
doing ministry at the U of I <laughs> 11 years ago. We're a little thinner, had no kids. Um, but you know what? We were new ministers, and you learn so much by experience. We were naturally immature in some areas, and you know, I remember there was this one woman that I was mentoring, and she'd been coming around to our meetings here and there, and you have to remember at this point, Chi Alpha was like less than, you know, between 10 and 20 people total. So the impact of one person felt like a lot. And she seemed interested in Jesus. Um, we were having what we call one-on-ones. This is a big part of what we do, um, where life group leaders meet every week to have coffee or lunch on campus with the people in their life groups to talk about Jesus, study the Bible together, and life. And, you know, at the time, I was really bothered by her life's messiness. There was still partying. There was still a lot of alcohol. There was sex. And so I just like kind of blasted in armed with all the verses and apologetics about how she needed to die to those things right now in order to follow Jesus. True things spoken impatiently. I wonder sometimes what would have happened if I'd just been a little bit more patient. Because mixed up in my motives to help her follow Jesus were also motives to like build Chi Alpha or like be successful. And I'm uncomfortable with this person's mess. The result of being compelled by idolatry is exhaustion. Because if you really think that it's all up to you, then you're not trusting in the gospel, you're trusting in yourself. Idolatry is usually preceded by faithlessness. So maybe it's a child or a family member that doesn't love God, Um, instead of seeking God's perspective and his timing, you're forcing conversations or just like push, push, pushing when you're supposed to be patient. Maybe you're tempted to fix people's behavior so it makes you feel better when God's perfectly okay with them taking a little more time for it to work out. So one caveat, there's a spectrum of personalities in this room, right? Some of you are over here, um, like me, and you want to make things happen. You're an activist. Like when things feel out of control, you're going to take control. The other side of it is maybe some of you have more passive personalities and you just say nothing, ever. So that's not what I'm saying here. Um, in fact, our passage, 2 Corinthians 5, assumes that we are engaged actively in this process of being Christ ambassadors. We are actively engaged in um, sharing G- Jesus with people. So I'm not saying you know, always blast in. I think we have to remember what I had to tell myself at the, um, back in those early days, I put a a verse above my desk that said, it's not up there. Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Did you know that your kids can still choose not to follow God? even if you put them in Christian school or homeschool them or memorize all the verses or listen to Christian music or totally protect them from all of the other kids in their school. Like, I mean, these are things that I'm worried about as a mom. Did you know that your friends can still choose not to follow Jesus even if you have all the right arguments and you take them to all the right events on campus? We're sometimes compelled by our own need to see progress. So what's the gospel hope? We need that hope, right? Romans 5, 6 says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That verse is still true right now. It gives us great hope that you can trust God's timing. 
So the question I always ask then is like, okay, well then how do I know when I'm supposed to like do something or say something and how do I know when I'm just supposed to wait? And I think this is a tension. We're not always gonna get it right. I think it involves prayer. Um, It involves listening to the spirit. And did you know that when you obey what you do know, you're learning God's voice. So obey what you know, God's voice will become easier to discern. And then I think you need to check your motives. Am I doing or saying this because I have to feel better or because this person is actually ready for it? It's a little tricky, but God will help us. What else are we compelled by? I think insecurity. I share my faith because I'm not sure that I'm good enough for God. How many people in here watch The Great British Bake Off? Anyone? A few people? Okay, don't be shy. Um, I actually really like reality TV. Don't judge me. But this one is a good one (laughs) because it's way less nasty than most reality TV. And of course, they're British, so they automatically sound smarter than all of us. And um, the prize is actually just a cake stand. There's no money. They go through all of this for a cake stand. So season one, there is an iconic episode where they are asked to make a baked Alaska. Has anyone here actually eaten baked Alaska? Okay, about three people. And probably the reason for that is because baked Alaska is considered one of the most difficult desserts to actually make because if you do it real, you know, you have to have homemade ice cream on the inside and then a from scratch sponge cake that encases it with a homemade meringue on the outside that is then fired and looks pretty. So you've got like ice, you've got meltiness, all of this stuff. So it's hard. And the contestants, if you go to the next slide, um, he is struggling. This is what his in his ice cream looked like. You know, he's crying. <laughs> and it's funny because this actually blew up the internet. Um, hashtag AlaskaGate, hashtag um, Justice for Ian, hashtag, I'm not making this up, this is real, um, <laughs> FreezerGate. So anyways, what's my point? Baked Alaskas are fragile. They dissolve and they melt when things don't go right. And sometimes we're compelled to share our faith because we're trying to prove to God that we are the baker worthy of Mary Berry's approval. If you're not sure that God loves you, your sense of worth will waver with every evangelistic misstep, every awkward conversation, every friend that gets upset or annoyed at your beliefs. Your confidence that God loves you is going to be shaken with every mistake you make sharing your faith. The result of evangelism compelled by insecurity is anxiety. And then often that compulsion from insecurity then leads us to be compelled by vanity. Because if I'm unsure that I'm good enough for God, then I have to be better than her in order to feel good about myself. It's easy to fall into this trap of insecurity or vanity. Even for me, I mean, leading up to this message, I was thinking about, okay, I'm gonna be talking about sharing our faith, oh shoot, I've been like in a mom bubble lately. When was the last time I shared my faith? Um, Oh, it's been a while. Okay, I better set up a a play date with one of my mom friends so we can have a conversation. Ick, right? That's yucky feeling. Because my motive to share my faith was not out of love for my friends. It was out of a need to look good in front of you guys. How does the gospel free us 
from insecurity, vanity, and idolatry. What does our passage says? 2 Corinthians 5-7, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. We tend to name ourselves. I'm the introverted one, I'm the extroverted one, I'm the awkward one, I'm the overbearing one, the worrier, the stressed out one, the aggressive one, the stupid one, the lazy one, the fragile one. How do you name yourself? I'm the fill in the blank. The thing is, without Christ, it might be true. We're all sinners, and our human nature is fractured and damaged and imperfect. But how does God name us? God identifies you as in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, in Christ and a new creation. Now, I have always found that phrase, in Christ, as such a hard phrase to internalize because grammatically, it's just weird. Um, I don't describe my other relationships as being in someone. Um, I don't in Clayton or in Corinne, like that's just weird sounding. We might say I'm into jazz music or I'm into computer coding or um, I'm into my kids, but I don't say I'm in blank, okay? But what does this mean? It means that when you become a Christian, your life is immersed in Jesus, Yourself has been swallowed up by Jesus. If you were to strip everything about yourself, your preferences, your strengths, your weaknesses, your major, um, your family heritage, your job, you would just be left with Jesus, his perfect life, his perfect relationship with the Father on our behalf. So I'm a visual person, and so I want to give you guys a visual. I didn't make this up myself. Um, to help you internalize what this means to be in Christ, okay? All right. Let's find all my boxes here. Okay. This, this is you, okay? And according to the Bible in Genesis 3, the Bible says that all of us were born into sin, okay? This is sin. Our world is fractured and decayed. God designed us for good, but we have been damaged and messed up by evil. We were born in sin. But unfortunately, it gets even worse. Not only were we born in sin, the Bible talks about how sin is in us. That's all those adjectives that you just listed, right? I'm awkward, I'm cowardly, I'm a liar, I'm blah, blah, blah. So we're in sin, but then also, Sin is in us, in sin. And you know, Paul, he actually talked about, he said in Romans 7, he said, the things that I don't want to do, I do them. And the things I do want to do, I don't do those things. Why? Because of this sinful nature in us, okay? That is not a pretty picture of who we are. Without Christ, this is your identity. You are awkward or mean or cowardly or lazy. But the hope of the gospel is this. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, the Bible says that Jesus absorbed sin on our behalf. The last verse of our passage says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him 
we might become the righteousness of God. So instead of you being in sin, you are in Christ. Pretty cool. But it gets even better. Not only are we in Christ, we are swallowed up by his life and death and resurrection. The Bible says that Christ is in you. So we can take this nasty thing. Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. That's good news. Jesus swallowed up your sin. He absorbed it on the cross for you. But here's the thing. You know, that, that Christ in you, it says, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, in Romans 8, says that's in you. Ephesians 1 says, when you believed, you were marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't end here. Colossians 3, 3 says, for you died, and your life is now hidden in Christ, in, how does the verse end? You are hidden in God. And that right there is some solid, secure identity. This is what Jesus did for you on the cross. This is how we are no longer defined by our sin. The old you is dead. You are a new creation. You in Christ. Christ in you. With Christ hidden in God. This whole passage today was about being Christ's ambassadors. And you know, God wants us to be compelled by this good news, right? Not duty, not because we don't trust him, so we have to do it ourselves, not to look good, not because we're not sure he loves us. This is what could compel us. I want to invite you guys to respond a little bit. Um, you know, Nicole talked about those connection cards. On the bottom, there's a spot for you to um, to write something, to write a prayer request. And I want to invite you, you know, let's just take a, a moment and ask the Lord, what does he want me to take away from this? How could somebody else pray for you? Maybe it's that you don't believe this. You've still got all those other adjectives defining you, your performance. Maybe you need to start believing that this is what the Bible says about you. Maybe there's someone in your life that you want to know Jesus. You could put their name down or uh, initials or something, and we can pray for those people by name. So let's just take a moment to respond. What is he, what is he saying to you? How does he want to free you? And then I, I'm going to just sit down so that I can reflect too, and then in a minute, Nicole will come up and she'll close us and send you guys out. Okay? Jesus, would you just speak to this group right now? Would you free us? In Jesus' name. <laughs>